one of my goals is to create more visibility for Native athletes. When I was in college, I didn't really hear of any other Native American runner or athlete competing in that level or that came straight off the res. Um, so my goal was to try to bring more awareness to those individuals. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wida L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 42. Today, I welcome Dylan Shahay, a prior professional runner and Division I cross-country national champion. Dylan is presently an advocate for visibility for Indigenous runners and athletes. He also is a coach and motivational speaker. He is also a Wilmo Mankiller Fellow with the National Congress of American Indians. His goal and purpose in life is to bring much-needed services to the Indian community. Services such as generalized health care, mental health, land, money, and other vital resources. He serves as a tribal leader, and he also serves as a Councilman. He presently is finishing up his prerequisites and wants to go to medical school and become an orthopedic surgeon and come back to his community to serve. There are no Native American physicians in his current tribe. He is an inspiration, not only as a runner, but as a human being. He gives so much to his community, to his country, and it's a pleasure to welcome him to the show. Listen and hear about his amazing story. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Dr. Brown, and having a meaningful dialogue. First, I kind of want to go back to when you were growing up. You're from New Mexico, is that correct? Yes. So how did you start running? I grew up on the Zia Pueblo Indian Reservation. I was born and raised, and I pretty much grew up with a lot of elders telling stories and, and, and instilling that running has always been part of our tradition, mm-hmm. part of our culture. And, and it was a form of prayer for ceremonial purposes, as well as just for health and wellness. When I started running at a very young age, um, went to school, day school, it's elementary that we have on the reservation. We used to have a cross country program for ages five through 12 years old. So mm-hmm. I think it's like, kindergarten to fifth grade but that's where I kind of started developing myself I guess as a runner I mean it was just for fun uh, and I was never super competitive at a young age uh, just enjoyed being out there in the in the more early mornings and running and you know, when it rained you know I would run outside with no shoes on and <laughs> just enjoy that part and no shirt you know just kind of pretty much in my underwear but <laughs> it was just the enjoyment Traditional leaders will talk about the purpose of uh, purposes of why we were, we ran. That's when it just was second nature, you know, was in my blood. So that enjoyment led to, to competition later on. But uh, that's kind of how I started my my running career, I guess. 
pretty much the love of running. Yeah. When your traditional leaders talked about their history of running, what did they say? What was the history of running as far as um your tribe? So it goes into a lot of a spirituality aspect, but as far as what the stories that were told to us too uh, were that we used it as a way to deliver messages to surrounding communities. That was, that was our form form of transportation where our aids, but also uh, for ceremonial things. Like I was telling, um, there's certain areas in their village that are very sacred to us, and we wanted mm-hmm. to, to run there in order to offer uh, prayer. Okay. Um, so that was one of the ways, and also to greet greet the sun. As it was rising, mm-hmm. that was that was also a way of, of paying our respects too. So uh, that was also given to me by our traditional leaders and elders. It, it, it goes out very deep, but that's pretty much um, what was explained to me um, as I was growing up. Okay. What events did you run in high school? Mainly cross country, or did you do any other events? I, mainly cross country. Uh, I did. Start running track. I believe that was my sophomore year. Uh, but my freshman year, I was suffering with the uh, Oshkid slaughter. Slaughter, mm-hmm. yeah. So I had a lot of knee issues, uh, just those growth issues, and I, I couldn't run. I played basketball as well, okay. but after basketball season, I tried to take on track uh, my freshman year, but I just couldn't do it. My knees were just in pain every step I, I, I took. So. I, I sat out that spring season, my freshman year, and it started off again my, my sophomore year for cross country. What uh, events did you run uh, sophomore year when you started track? Oh, yes. Uh, so I ran uh, the 800, uh, 1600, and the 3200. Okay. So longer distance? Yeah, more of the long distance. I did a few relays, but those are not my main events that I, I participated in. Did you have a favorite? It's a, it's a toss up between the 32 and the 16, but I feel the longer I run, the better I get, the stronger I, I get. Yeah, I would say the 3200 was probably my more favorite. favorite okay. <laughs> What's your favorite to watch? Did you the Olympics? Did you watch in the Olympics? I did a little bit this past, uh, well, this recent Olympics. Um, I had a few uh, college teammates that were participating. Okay. Uh, one was in the 3000 meter steeplechase, another in the 10,000 meter final and i had um, some post-collegiate teammates that also made it to the olympics okay so i also um watched the the 5000 meter final and one of my um, teammates from the american distance project paul chalimo uh finished in bronze so with the bronze medal so amazing yeah pretty <laughs> awesome <laughs> yes so when you were in high school you were one of the top native american runners in the country is that correct yeah yeah, my senior year, um, a little bit, I would say my freshman or junior year as well. <laughs> what an honor. So how did you get to that stage? What was your training like? Were you just a naturally fast runner? I mean, I feel like I, it was a natural thing for me, but also it took a while to develop, uh, kind of bring out that, I guess you could say natural ability, maybe. I actually put in a lot of work during the summers. Um, I, I attended running camps. Okay. Were they all all over or were they local? Yeah, one was in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Um, okay. The summer leading into my sophomore year, I told my parents, like, I wanted to become a better runner. And there was a guy in Boulder, uh, Coach Jay Johnson, that was putting up this camp called Boulder Running Camp. And 
he helped me get get there and, and I went to the individual camp. I learned so much during that time and ran with a lot of other runners from different states, um, especially out east. There was a lot of up-and-coming runners at that time, um, guys that were way faster than I was by minutes. <laughs> and I never knew that a person that was my same age at the time, 14, 15 years old, that could run as fast as they were running. And that really was an eye-opening experience where I was like, okay, I need to start training a lot harder, harder and running a little bit more miles, but also be smart about it. So I, I put in some time during that summer and from my freshman to sophomore year, sophomore year, I took off a minute and a half from in my 5k. So yeah, I, I learned so much during that running camp. And that was a way that I was trying to develop myself as an athlete, as a runner. So. What was your typical training regimen like then? At that time, I, I still believe I ran every day. I think seven days a week. Yeah, seven days a week. I'm trying to think back to what my weekly mileage was. It was probably between 40 and 50. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing too serious. I mean, that is a lot of mileage for a high schooler, but I think it was pretty consistent within 40 to 45. Yeah. And I never ran more than an eight mile long run at the time. I didn't know what a long run was. <laughs> okay. Um, so. Did you do like speed work and farlicks and stuff like that, Dan? Yeah, I actually had a mentor here in New Mexico by the name of Michael Daney, and he kind of took me under his wing and, and helped devise a plan, a training plan, where it consisted of fart licks, uh, tempo runs, uh, twice a day uh, runs, long runs. So putting in strides throughout my, my regimen, he really helped me kind of improve for, for the years to come. Yeah. So you ended up going to college at the University of Colorado. Was that on a track scholarship? Actually, it, it was not. I was a walk-on. And the funny thing is uh, how I got to college was I had a college counselor in high school that really pushed me to uh, and guided me to um, apply to scholarships. And the scholarship that helped me was the Daniels Fund Scholarship. I received that scholarship. It, it paid my way to college. Yeah. Um, at that time, I didn't know if I was going to make it or go to college because it's very expensive. And coming from the reservation I come from, it's very limited resources. We face a lot of different challenges. So I was a little nervous, but I was really happy when I got that scholarship. And that allowed me to go to, to the University, University of Colorado. But how I got there was I did walk on. I, I got in contact with the coach, Mark Whitmore, during a national championship event that was held in Maryland. And I told him at that time that I was very interested in running for, for the team. And he told me to be in contact with him going through the, the last spring of, of my senior year. So I emailed him, I would probably say twice a month, maybe more than okay. that, just kind of checking in and, and uh-huh. that was good. showing my interest. And he knew that like I was a committed athlete, student athlete. And that's what he, he was very proud to have attend our field of this program is people that are, are um, I guess you could say, uh, self-reliant, you know, <laughs> they don't rely on their parents to get them to that, to that place. So mm-hmm. he was very happy that I reached out and continued to do so. And they taught, he talked with other coaches and they decided to reserve me a spot on the team. And that's how I got into the University of Colorado. Did you enjoy your time there? Uh, it, it was an amazing time. 
my my fondest memory was probably the first time that I ever received my Colorado gear. Uh, I got the my my uniform, my shirts, shorts, everything. I took it back to my dorm as a freshman, and it was a very emotional and re- rewarding time for me. Like I get, I probably shed some tears as I was putting on the jersey and looking at myself in the mirror. It's like. I worked so hard to be here and now it's finally here. I can't believe I have this on right now. And mm-hmm. coming from a small reservation with 800 people, like there's hardly anybody else that has accomplished or got up to that position mm-hmm. in, in athletics or their academics. So it was a very proud moment for, for, for me. And yeah. So you ran cross country in college or did you do other events as well? Uh, I ran cross country and track. So cross country season during the regular season, we run uh, eight kilometers, and when it gets to regionals and championship, we run ten kilometers. Track, I did anywhere between the fifteen hundred meter to ten thousand meters. So um, yeah, I think fifteen hundred meters, three thousand, five thousand, and then the the ten k. So in two thousand thirteen, your cross country team won the national championship. Correct. Yes. And you got to go to the White House. Tell me about that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, 2013 White House was inviting uh, all national championship teams to visit the White House. And yeah, see, so we're honored to have that invitation. We went out. Can't remember what month it was, but we went out to D.C. Uh, toured the whole entire White House, except the third floor. President Barack Obama came out and greeted us all, um, individual teams. And we were, we were in the Oval Office. That, that was our setup. So and I just remember, like, my teammates talking about all the questions that they were going to ask him and mm-hmm. whatnot. But when he came into the room, everybody just kind of got, like, starstruck and oh, really? <laughs> did not say anything. And I was like, well, nobody's going to take advantage of this time. I am. So I started okay. talking to him. And mm-hmm. he was like, are you a senior? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, what are you planning on doing? And I said, I, I want to go into um, a health pro- profession. I want to become a physical therapist. That's what I wanted to do at the time. So I said, well, I'm glad that you're doing that. And, you know, wish you continued success. So it was it was pretty, pretty cool to actually have like a one-on-one with him before everybody finally woke up and started oh, you like realized that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got to shake his hand. And, Did you get a picture with him? Yeah, I have a picture. It's, it's hung up in home and on the reservation i don't think i washed my hand for like two days after that (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing yeah it it was a great moment so after college you were a professional runner correct yes so leading into my professional career i actually took off about eight months from running after i graduated from college i just needed that downtime to recover mentally were you injured or you just kind of just no it was just training at that level division one was it was a high intensity and I just needed to recover my body, my, my mind and, and kind of yeah, re- recoup. And I started running again about yeah seven, eight months after. And that's when I moved to uh, Colorado Springs to train with the American distance project, which was coached by Scott Simmons. So, and he, he was pretty adamant about recruiting me before I showed up there. And 
yeah, we will often see each other at different places, um, like unknowingly, <laughs> and we will start talking about, hey, I want to work with you. Like, when, let's let's get together. I'll train you, you know. And finally, we made it happen, and I moved to Colorado Springs in August of 2015. I was training really well. We were trying to we had goals of making uh, the Olympic trials marathon. Okay. Out of nowhere, I, I hit an injury. What injury was it? It's it's my uh, nerve impingement. Um, okay. it, I'm still plagued by it now, um, but slowly kind of getting getting things going. So I had I did race try to try to qualify with a half marathon, mm-hmm. but I I ended up miss, uh, missing it by one minute because one minute. of it. Yeah, because of the injury. So yeah, I was pretty upset, but thinking that my leg would heal, but it just never did. Never did. Um, yeah, because when that nerve, you know, gets pinched, it just shuts my whole entire leg down. Mm-hmm. It gets like really hot, starts burning, and then just doesn't contract anymore. It doesn't feel like it contracts and just gets heavy. So yeah, I was on pace for that race. Uh, it was actually in Philadelphia where I raced. Was it pin relays? Uh, no, it was a Philadelphia half marathon. So it was a road, oh, okay, road, okay. road race, yeah. Were you still after the trials in sixteen? Did you continue professional running? Um, I tried, but I mean, as an athlete being injured, a lot of things just kind of spiraled out of control at that time with my my mental health um, and emotional health. So I, I actually <laughs> kind of hit a dark dark spot at that time. Mm-hmm. I, I was depressed at that time. Was it related to the whole, uh, just Olympics, the injury, and just just the frustration? It was associated with the injury. Because anytime I tried to run at a high level, high intensity, like my body just couldn't do it, my leg couldn't do it. And it was very frustrating for me. And like, I would have to stop a mile into my run just to try to stretch. And mm-hmm. and it was very consistent like that throughout a run. You know, it would be six miles and I had to stop four times. Normally, I'm, I'm running six miles as a recovery day, but six miles with an injured leg, it was just, it was just painful for me, uh, knowing that I have an ability to be able to run r- really fast or the potential to run a lot faster, but not being able to train and see my, my training partners do all that work. It was very frustrating and hard for me to see. And I just, yeah, I just kind of spiraled, spiraled out and, and myself in, in some depression a couple months later i believe the, the following year in 2017 i made my way back home because mm-hmm. uh, i felt i needed my family and to be rooted back into my culture to to get out of that depression uh, depressive state mm-hmm. but <laughs> that didn't really help either just because mm-hmm. we were we had limited resources coming from the reservation so not mm-hmm. many therapists Season three, we will continue the new segment called Ask the Doc. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal injuries or musculoskeletal health, go to my website, www.weouilife.com. Click on the tab, voicemail, leave your voicemail, and select messages will be aired and answered on the segment. Now, back to the show. 
did you have any therapy like when you came home or like even in Colorado after um, like a sports psychologist? Did y'all have anybody who worked with the professional runners at the time? I did not. I did seek out somebody or a couple people here in New Mexico when I returned. But when I did, they didn't really know how to approach mm-hmm. an individual like myself that's Native American that has different values and that's very traditional. Mm-hmm. And the one of the ladies that I had talked to told me that I was just going to be another statistic of a Native American because of alcoholism. And I told her that she told you that. Yeah, and I told her that, and I got kind of I got pretty upset, but I try not to allow myself to stoop to that levels of. Mm-hmm. Of reactions, so I told him, you know what? If you're gonna have a response like that, you shouldn't be working in this profession. In that profession, yes. yeah, yeah, because your your goal here should be trying to heal and help people, but you're not supporting that. So I left. I kind of gave up a little bit on that. Kind of like I said, leading into that, I I was drinking um, to kind of deal with the depression. My, yeah, my emotions, and that was kind of my escape at the time, and. Unknowingly, I was hurting myself too um, as an athlete. So that was a dark place for me. And like I said, coming home, I, I had other negative influences. Kind of, I continued to do the things I was doing, um, drinking. But finally, everything kind of took a turn. And um, the end of 2018, I um, was appointed as a traditional tribal official in my community, which mm-hmm. holds a lot of responsibility. And I was third in line in command um, out of 12 individuals. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of responsibility. What did you do? In that aspect, my job was to bring community together to participate or fulfill traditional activities, ceremony, dances, singing, uh, prayer, all those things are what things that I had to take care of and speak in my native language, which is Keras. And for myself, I grew up in a household that spoke Keras. I, I, I picked it up. I'm not a fluent speaker, so I had to learn more on top of that uh, on how to, to, to speak in a formal way in my own language as well. So that took some time and learning, which then I also had to teach eight other guys or seven mm-hmm. other guys of how to make speeches uh, when I was learning just myself. So I had a lot of responsibility, but I, in my mind, I was like very thankful that you know I had to rethink about how I'm representing myself. I need to be, to get healthy in order to protect and serve my community members. Mm-hmm. So, so was that a turning point kind of got you out of your dark place? That really turned myself around in that same year. I met my my now wife, okay. <laughs> um, and she also had a big positive role in my healing. We talked endlessly about tradition and how to help our communities bring in resources and the lack of resources that we have and how we can fix that and move forward as a community for, for Indian country as well, you know, so we started talking and I, at that time I decided that I wanted, uh, we, I was going to apply to medical school. So okay. that's when medical school, the talk for medical school started coming up during that time. And, and I started taking my prereqs to, to get to that point. And I have one more class right now that I'm working through and I'll be applying. But at that time it was um, something that I, I set my mind to do. And 
I had other responsibilities to take care of at the same time. So I was taking one or two classes at a time. So it took me a little bit to get to where I am now. But What class do you have left? The only thing I have left is biochem. Looking forward to that in the fall. <laughs> so as part of this healing process, meeting your wife and kind of finding your purpose again, if if I if that would be a good description. That is a good description, yes. Did you ever stop running or did you still run? I still run. Like doing this with the dark put, did you stop running during that time? Oh, uh during that dark time. Yeah. I did and I mainly focused on lifting weights. Okay. Um and that kinda helped. A guy from Hawaii, my, my coach now, as far as my lifting coach, reached out to me in 2020. And he's the one that's been trying to, uh, has been supporting me and helping me get back my health, okay. physical health. But as far as the mental aspect, emotional aspect, I, I have sought out therapy mm-hmm. and finally found some individuals that are culturally sensitive and aware. Mm-hmm. I have really meaningful discussion. And in the routes that I'm taking now, as you see that I'm a Wilma Mankiller Fellow at the National Congress of American Indians in the Government Relations Department, and we're working on crafting policy for all of Indian country. And this is my investment in my leadership so that I can fight for better health care, which would be mental health too. Mm-hmm. For for Indian country, because there's a, there's not only myself that is de- dealing with issues such as the, what I've dealt with, and I want to just be able to support and ensure that health professionals are learning how to take care and communicate with indigenous communities and understand, um, because if somebody is seeking out uh, therapy. Sometimes they don't know what we're asking or, or what we're trying to articulate because of our cultural uh, background. So mm-hmm. it's like we're also paying them with education too. So it's like we're, we're, there's no really no help because we're busy educating rather than receiving that therapy that we need to recover, if that makes sense. So you're trying to basically educate them on what you need and how to be more culturally aware and yeah. more sensitive to the population that they're treating. Yeah. Yeah. So as part of your um fellowship program, this what you basically advocate for health policies or different of uh, all types of policies? All types of policy. There's so much that goes into it, you know, health, education, cultural, I guess you could say paraphernalia, you know, land, water. Natural resources, pretty much everything, you know, we try to do our best to ensure that resources come home so that our communities can progress and, and move forward and ensure the, the survival and, and perseverance of, of one, our tribes. You know. So how did you get involved in the fellowship? My wife. Your wife, okay. <laughs> yeah, she, she's been in these spaces before, and it was something that I've always wanted to do as well. So we started discussing ways on how I can, like I said, develop myself as a knowledgeable leader and and making sure that I build these uh, relationships and building that government to government relationship. And CAI is like one of the top tier organizations to to do so. And and I'm very fortunate that I, I have that position working towards crafting policy for 
all of Indian country. And that's what we do, you know. And you also do um, advocacy for indigenous runners and athletes. What is your role in that? I know you're, you're a coach and a motivational speaker. How did you get involved in that? Part of my goal is just to create more visibility for Native athletes. When I was in college, I didn't really hear of any other Native American runner or athlete competing at that level or that came straight off the res. Um, so my goal was to try to bring more awareness to those individuals because you got Native American athletes out there that can compete at these high levels, uh, not only in sports, but the profession kind of started that myself in 2019. And I, like I said, I do workshops, um, train individuals, either just want to improve their quality of health or to try to compete at, in the, at the college level and beyond. You train them as far as running and get put in connections so they can get to um, college. Yeah. And then and ensuring that when they do get to college, that they're looking at ways, educational ways that they're, that they're, will be uh, an asset to their community. Sometimes I feel like some people will take the easy easy route as far as a major, but mm-hmm. it's like, how does that major help your community? What is it doing to, to move your, your community forward? You know, what are you bringing back? Um, it's not about just you. You know, you have family members, you have relatives. I mean, you got little kids coming up, like what are you doing to ensure their protection, their safety, and to have the ability to get to where you're at, you know, whatever school or profession that you're in. That's that's kind of what I try to instill into into their mind. Like, okay, I need to have a purpose when I go to school. Like, what's my purpose? And like what you're saying, once I couldn't fulfill being a professional runner, I had to find a different purpose. So my purpose right now is to go back to school, become a doctor and advocate for healthcare at a high level. Like I said, with NCAI, that's what I'm, I'm doing as well. So what's your ultimate goal after you go to medical school? Do you know what you want to, what kind of doctor you want to be? Yeah, I want to go into uh, orthopedics, so become a surgeon. Uh, I would like to specialize on the hip <laughs> um, just because for me... Yeah, my injury is kind of associated with that area, but also I see a lot of people falling over and having a lot of injuries in that region. So, Are there a lot of, I guess, professionals in your community that look like you or or not? I mean, do you see any? Because I think think that's important for when people go to the doctors, minorities, to have people advocate for them, to have people who look like them feel more comfortable and just make you get better care. Another reason why I'm trying to go through this education route that community members feel a lot more safe and understood. Um, a lot of the times, um, some of them will go see a health professional that doesn't understand them, so they easily could be taken advantage of or misdiagnosed. So my goal, like I said, is to make ensure that they're being dealt with with the fullest respect. As far as my community, I will be the only doctor medical doctor. I'll be the first medical doctor coming out of my community once I accomplish that. And for me, I think that's a, a really big deal, like as, as far as leadership, but also as a role model to younger generations, because I feel like we need more Native American doctors, we need more Native we American do. lawyers, and scientists, and that's the only way we're going to improve as a whole as well. I agree. And I think more mental health professionals too, because that person that told you that should not be practicing 
When you were going through your dark place, did you find a stigma as far as seeking mental health or in your community or was it, as it, was it okay, I guess, to talk about depression and just being down? It's really hard having those discussions just because with the overall history of Native Americans dealing with genocide and all, I mean, all the traumas that we face, you know, it, it's very hard to help another individual when there's already trauma guilt. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did talk a lot to my parents too. And, and and this is something that I discuss now with, with my relatives and, and friends, you know, and peers, like this is what we need to ensure that we have more resources so that individuals like us, if we're dealing with something, we have a safe place to talk about it. I did reach out and it was helpful participating in culture, that's pretty much what my where my help was to talk to others about our being vulnerable with others, you know. Um, I think that's something that is very hard to do with for anybody. Um, mm-hmm. but especially when you already have underlying traumas, it's a little bit harder because you want to feel like you're a macho person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so as part of your education, is that a part of it as far as I know you talked about as far as mental health, like telling, I guess, people that it's OK to be it's OK to be down. It's OK to have issues. It's OK to seek help if you, you need to, to to talk about it. Exactly. And that's something I share with my family. Like, it's OK to be vulnerable and to talk about it. and educating them about the awareness of, of why it's important to be open and not to hold judgment or confiding in one another to build each other up and make sure that we're healing. Um, so that's, yeah, those are things that I talk about with my family, but also now more trying to reach out to, to younger, younger kids too, letting them know like, Hey, we're here uh, to listen. You know, I want to show you that respect. Respect doesn't just go from an elder down. I mean, uh, from the younger person up to the elder, you know, it has to go both ways. Mm-hmm. So being patient with that as well. And, and yeah, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, but it, it's, it has to has to be taught not only from myself, but as a community as a whole uh, for everybody to understand the importance of, of helping somebody with, with mental health or whatever it may be. So Dylan, um, after I guess your injury and returning home and stop running, do you find joy running now, despite some of your injuries, do you uh, find it to be joyful like you did in the past? I actually do. Yeah. This time was a good time to kind of revisit why I became a competitive runner. And that came from the pure enjoyment of just being out there and running being out in the early morning, you know, fresh air and nobody else around, you know, it's just you having that runner's high, even though it's only two miles, you know, or whatever it may be. It's just having that feeling and it's like, oh, I missed this. It's, it's home. And I do enjoy it um, back to to when I remember running outside in the rain as a kid. You know, I have <laughs> a, a daughter now that, you know, when it rains outside, you know, I'll take her out and we'll kind of walk around in the rain and she's enjoying it. And that's like, 
my home as well. So, <laughs> well, good. How's your daughter? Uh, she is gonna, going to be six months um, at the okay. end of this month. Yeah, so very small, but very yeah. small. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. If you could go back uh, as present day Dylan and and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? There's a lot of things that I would tell myself, actually. But one of the things is go to school being purposeful. And like what I talked to you about earlier with me educating athletes about going to school with the purpose, Mm -hmm. that's something that I would retell myself is I feel at the age I am, I'm a little bit behind in my purpose. And I wish I had that guidance in, in my freshman year as a, as a, as a student athlete to mm-hmm. I'm here for a purpose, not only for running, but to make meaningful connection and how to build my circle mm-hmm. of, of positive influence and how they can help me move ahead as well. And having that relationship with the outside world, with bringing in those resources that we need in our communities. Um, so I wish I didn't waste my time trying to take trips. I mean, I wish I went to certain events that I was going to meet professionals and mm-hmm. building that relationship and showing my face, like hey, I'm a serious person. Like I need my community or the pueblos and Indian country needs help. And like, what can I learn and how can I, can I build up to, to being that meaningful and asset to, to Indian country, so, stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> Well, maybe don't think about if you waste your time, but think about all those years as formative years. It's like eat the good and the bad kind of shape you in the person you are. You may be a different person now if you didn't go through some of that. Yeah, I'm happy where I'm at now. And and whatever I'm telling myself now, I'm telling my younger brother, my cousin, like these are just things to think about. You know, you don't have to get so serious because I don't want to overwhelm you, but just know like, we need things in our community so that the younger generation can experience the outside world the way that we are. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy of, of how far I've come and the experience I had. Tell me about the documentary, Run to the East. It talks about your path from collegiate athlete in Colorado. Tell me about the documentary and where can people find it if they want to watch it. So that documentary... Run to the East was actually my journey, my senior year in high school. Okay. It, it follows three Native Americans. One, myself, Pueblo, and Zia Pueblo, and the other two, Navajo from Navajo Nation. Um, and it kind of starts from the fall um, of our senior year going into the spring. And the struggles, the challenges that we face in our communities, but also the drive that we have, motivation that we, we, we have to try to succeed at a higher level. So, and, and running is pretty much a catalyst um, for that success that we're, we are trying to find. So that Run to the East, you can find that on Vimeo. Uh, okay. Um, it's by Moxie Pictures out of New York. And actually how I got into that documentary was the year before I was featured in the New York Times Somebody from Santa Fe here in New Mexico, a writer, reached out and, and wanted to have a authentic, genuine 
Native American youth or individual coming straight off the res and to write about their experience and what they're trying to accomplish. So once I was in the, featured in that, one of the individuals out in New York read that piece and was like, hey, I'm going to write a document or have a documentary showing their journey in the last year. So that's how I got into that. Nice. I want to see it. And you also were featured in Runner's World, correct? Yes. Um, I was featured in that about um, running streaks and how that can improve an individual as far as their fitness. For me, like um, I've, I've had a running streak for so many years before my injury. Mm-hmm. And like I said, for me, it, it's always been like a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, wake up in the morning and, and go for my, my run and, and pray, you know, that I have a good day, that everybody has a good day. Well, good. I need to check out that documentary. Any last minute words of advice for my listeners? I will say be patient, trust the process. Thank you for listening to my, my story, too. Well, thanks for sharing your story. And I wish you much success in your last biochemistry. <laughs> Thank you. And getting into medical school and I uh, wish you well with getting into orthopedics. I know you would do it. And if you ever need anything, um, I'm always willing to, to help or if I can do anything to help along the process, let me know. Thank you. I, I will. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, please email Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, OLB, Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, Omaha Love Brown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. OUI Life, OUI Love. Thank you, and please tune in again.